Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. BetOnline knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head on over to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. <laughs> What's up, guys? Now with the Green Bay game finally in our rear view, that game that we'd all been dreading for so long, and for it to be almost as big a disaster as we thought it was going to be. I mean, it was bad, but uh, not the uh, fifty-five to fourteen, uh, you know, just destruction that we were expecting with the way that we've been playing lately. Thankfully, that game is gone. And the next four games that we have against the Lions, the Texans, the Vikings, and the Jaguars are winnable games. Does that mean we're going to win them? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean we're going to win them. It means that we can and that there's a reasonable expectation of victory in these games, which has not been a reasonable expectation for four out of the five games that we've just end up – we just finished losing. We should have beaten Minnesota, or at least we were expected to. The other four games – we were expected to lose, and we did, and in some ways, in spectacular fashion. Jeremy Reisman has come back to the show to help us preview this Week 13 matchup between the Bears and the Lions. The Bears looking for a season sweep, uh, looking to even out our division record at 2-2 two and two, um, because we got the 1-0 the and o start against the, the Lions Week 1, and then we've lost to Minnesota and Green Bay in back-to-back division games to fall to 1-2. and two. This gets us back to 500, and maybe we can, uh, you know, either get a winning division in the record, or at least get a 500 when we, uh, you know, maybe even the score with uh, with the Vikings before we get killed by Green Bay in the season finale. So, um, nonetheless, interesting conversation between myself uh, and Jeremy. A lot of talk about the state of our franchises. Didn't really talk much about the game because. Why would we? <laughs> really, honestly, why would we talk much about the game? We did sprinkle some of that in there, but for the most part, talking about the woes of our franchises and what to look forward to uh, going forward. So if anything, it was kind of like almost like we had our offseason discussion now as opposed to having it uh, you know, later in the, uh, in the year. But, um, you know, always fun to have uh, Jeremy uh, on the show. Love talking to him. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that's been with me from the start when I branched out and started having guests on the show and during the 2015 uh, season. And, uh, you know, so as I like to say, despite his unfortunate allegiance uh, to the Lions, he's one of my favorite guys to talk to. So let's go ahead and get into it. 
It's the Week 13 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground with myself and Jeremy Reisman getting you ready for Bears-Lions on Sunday. Lucky week number 13 has our beloved returning home to Soldier Field and uh, hosting the uh, Detroit Lions. And, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting game on Sunday because we've got two very desperate teams on healthy losing streaks looking for redemption uh, at this point. And here to help us talk about this uh, football game, as usual, our good friend from uh, Pride of Detroit, it is Jeremy Reisman. Jeremy, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me, Larry. Always good to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, We were talking briefly before we got started here, and, uh, you know, the Bears are only one game better than the Lions in the standings right now, five and six over four and seven. And uh, if not for DeAndre Swift, that would be reversed, actually. We'd be the four and seven team, and you'd be the five and six football team. Uh, I I don't think that would have saved Matt Patricia's job, or do you think it would have? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, okay. it's only a matter of time, uh, given the rest of the line schedule beyond this week. Uh, things yeah. are probably only going to get worse. And yeah, so, I just looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he would have survived Thanksgiving, um, but he would not have survived New Year's. Yeah. Yeah. Or hell, maybe he might not have survived this weekend. You know, yeah, you, you lose to a team, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And depending on how you lose and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, Thanksgiving Day was bad. Thanksgiving Day was bad, and, uh, you know, Watson kind of rolled you guys up. And, uh, the, you know, the, the interception at the line of scrimmage for J.J. Watt got things kicked off uh, and things that was um, – yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, a pretty yeah. showing. But that's, that's 2020 for you, man. I was listening to the Rich Eisen show yesterday and uh, listening to Billy Gardell, the actor, um, from uh, Mike and Molly and, and whatnot, and he was like th- uh, four, three, and seven teams on Thanksgiving Day is about as 2020 as you can get. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that's that's what we got uh, on Thursday was four, three, and seven teams on national TV, no less, uh, yeah. playing football. My my favorite part of that day was uh, the the Cowboys in their press release like their their game recap that they give to to the press before games like they took a a really I don't know unexplained shot at the lines like yeah the lines are really bad on Thanksgiving but us you know the Cowboys we're we're really America's team and why everyone likes to sit down and and watch and they're the real show on Thanksgiving <laughs> and then both teams get you know get 40 hung on them and lose by like three scores and like Oh yeah, you're the real you're the real show in town now. You guys have won three playoff games in two and a half decades. Don't talk to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always funny when they do stuff like that when they try to polish the turd that right. is their their team in, in 2020 and and how wonderful the Mike McCarthy experiment is going right now when they've spent half the half the season trying to tell the public that he's not on the hot seat for how poorly this is going. Right. Going, you know, it was like if Jason Garrett was still the coach of this team, we might not be, we not might we not might, might not be a great team, but I'm certain sure certain we probably wouldn't be in as big a hole as we're. And you know, the, it, to to be four and seven and leading a division is sad, you know. <laughs> and the Cowboys are three and eight in last place of the worst division in football this year, and they're they've got the balls to take shots at people. Right? It's like that's that's pretty bad. That's yeah. pretty bad. So. So let's let's talk briefly uh, uh, about 
uh, week one. And I, and I don't mean to do this because I'm trying to rub it in. I just, you know, <laughs> that is kind of where it, it all began to fall apart for Patricia because then the stats of how many games that guy's been head coach, how many uh, leads he's given up uh, mm-hmm. to that point, that's where that all kind of came to the forefront. It's a game you guys should have won if not for DeAndre Swift making a rookie mistake in a key situation. Uh, you know, it was a game you guys should have won despite uh, Mitch's heroics uh, in the fourth quarter because he was god-awful for the first three quarters. Jeremy, I was in a sports bar because for some reason uh, they weren't carrying the game in my market for whatever reason. So I had to go out and watch the game, and here I am in public cursing my life because this is my team. And he was as bad as he could have been, and this is what we wait. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It all season four, and this is the guy that beat out Nick Foles, and we want, I was like, <laughs> I wanted him pulled at halftime. Like, I don't even want to see this anymore. I just sat through 20, 2019 watching him struggle and get it wrong and make the wrong reads, make the wrong throw, you know, over and over again. He's doing it again. I don't want to do this. I, I just have no patience for it. And then the fourth quarter happened. I'm like, great. Now we got to stick with him because he figured it out (laughs) in the fourth quarter. But we still should have lost the game. And that's also kind of where the whole yeah, but thing got started with the Bears. Like, yeah, we're 1-0. But if not for DeAndre Swift, we'd be 0-1 and and we deserve to be. Yeah. I mean, that that game actually kind of played out a lot like the Thanksgiving game last year where in the first half we were all talking about how David Blau was – out out dueling Mitchell Trubisky and then of right. course you look at the final stat line and Mitchell Trubisky threw out what 340 yards three touchdowns in that game and he always seems to do that I feel like he does that a lot in general but he certainly does it almost every single time he plays the lines where he just you, the first half you're like oh yeah this is a Mitchell Trubisky that we see every other week of the season and then for some reason something happens in that second half usually the fourth quarter and he's just Superman. And granted, basically every single quarterback that's played the Lions defense this year has had that kind of half or that kind of quarter, or maybe sometimes the entire game, like Deshaun Watson had. Uh, but it's it's extra frustrating when it's Mitchell Trubisky. Really, sure. for both sides, it kind of sounds like. like yeah. It's obviously frustrating from a Lions perspective that this is the only team that Trubisky can play well against. And it seems like it's frustrating from the Bears side, where it's just like every single time he faces the Lions, he gives you guys a little bit of hope. And then the following week, you come back to reality. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what the, the funny thing was is that against the, the the following week against the Giants, he picked up where he left off. He took his stellar fourth quarter and had a solid first half 
against the Giants. He was something like 11 of 13. He threw two touchdown passes. We're up 17 to three at halftime. And then after in the second half, it went off a cliff and we didn't score in the third quarter, which has been an ugly, ugly trend. The Bears have continued throughout the season. We've scored twice all season in the third quarter, twice. Hmm. And one of those was Cordero's kickoff return against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. So we've had one touchdown drive, just actually one scoring drive, period, in the third quarter in 11 games. One. One scoring drive in the third quarter. The other was a kickoff return uh, for for a touchdown to start the second half. So, I mean, we've been absolutely god-awful in the third quarter. My favorite stat line of the year, and it'll sound funny because I'm calling it my favorite, but after we did that kickoff return, three drives, nine plays, negative five yards in that third quarter against the Vikings. <laughs> it's funny. The Lions last year had an issue with the third quarter, and it was mostly defensively speaking. They would just implode in the third quarter. We we grew to call it the uh, the third quarter, and so I will pass that <laughs> off to you guys. You're, okay. you're free to use it this year. Okay. It's now the third quarter for you guys. The third quarter. Great. I will use that for the rest of the season, I swear to God, because uh, – that's that's exactly what it is, and you know the, the 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 thing that's that's made this five game losing streak even even more unbearable is that the effort has gotten worse each of yeah. those five weeks. You know, like the the Monday night game the, against the the Rams that kind of kicked things off with this losing streak. That was just at the time looked upon that was a bad night. Neither the offense nor the defense played well. We were, you know, Ted Ginn, that's where he ended his career as our punt returner, literally watching the ball fly everywhere, staying as far away from it as he possibly could. Like, you know, and we replaced him the week after. Uh, then, against the, then against the Saints, we made a decent effort, took it to overtime, had to do the fourth quarter thing to force overtime, and then blew like three turnover opportunities in overtime to let the Saints uh, make the winning score. And then the following week against the Titans, that's where things started circling the bowl. You know, the offense did not show up until garbage time when the game was well decided before they scored some points. The week after uh, against Minnesota was even worse on national television. Then we get two weeks to figure it out and try to make some kind of effort. We're bringing Mitch back. This should maybe put a shot in the arm with the offense outside of the first drive of the game. Everything else was what we expected it to be, and the Packers absolutely murdered us. The defense had the bad game that they were due for because they were absolute soldiers in that four-game losing streak. Like, they gave an effort. We should have won every game with the effort that the defense gave us in that four-game losing streak, and then they finally fell flat on their faces against uh, Green Bay, and then Mitch was Mitch for 99% of that game, and it was just an utter embarrassment. Like, each effort has gotten worse as we've gone along. So it's not like we're... Um, you know, one of those scrappy teams that just can't quite get over the hump and get a win is like we're literally handing the game over week in and week out. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of the viewpoint from the outside looking in too. Is yeah, you guys were just kind of holding on to to dear life at that four, with that four and zero start, and and you know, Bears fans were obviously excited at the time because why wouldn't you be excited four and zero? But you, you know, we were talking off off air, and you said you know everyone was like, yeah, but. <laughs> it's coming and then you hit and and to be fair to the bears like that was a bit of a gauntlet of a schedule that you guys just went through Rams, oh, for sure. Saints, titans vikings yeah. backers like that's not an easy stretch uh but i think a lot of people thought like yeah that's gonna be tough for them especially with the way they're playing offensively right and turns out yeah it was pretty tough for them yeah so i mean it's like when when the schedule came out even 
you know, with all of the unknowns with that team, it's like, well, we got Detroit at home. That's usually a victory. Or excuse me, on the road. It's like, and we've been playing well uh, against Detroit. That's, you know, uh, uh, you know, Detroit is, uh, you know, the, their Achilles heel is Mitch Trubisky. So we'll see how that goes week one. Uh, then week two, the Giants, terrible football team. That should be a win. Week three against Atlanta was actually the first question mark on the schedule because I didn't know which Falcon team we were going to get. I didn't know if we were going to get the team that started one and seven or that finished two and six or, you know, or or excuse me, finished six and two uh, last year. And we got both. We got the six and two team (laughs) for the first three quarters and then the one and seven team in the fourth quarter that let us come back uh, and win. And then the Colts, it was like, well, the Colts were like the 2019 uh, were the AFC version of the, of the Bears in 2019. This team that had a gr- great season in 2018, kind of overachieved, went to the playoffs, did some things, and then in 2019 expectations were high and they f- went absolutely nowhere. So, yeah. And then the Colts came in and they ragdolled us uh, you know, week four. So we were 3-0 and and then lost the first game 3-1. and And then Tom Brady comes to town, Thursday night football, then the Buccaneers were supposed to massacre us, and we ended up beating them. And that was like the first time that I felt like our win-loss record might actually be legit. Right. Because the the Buccaneers are supposed to be like the class of the NFC uh, this year with this super team that Arians and Brady have put together uh, and all that kind of stuff. And we took their best shot in the first quarter. They went up 13 to nothing on us. We, we, you know, we came and took the lead right before halftime. We battled them throughout the second half. We, you know, we kicked the game-winning uh, field goal, and then we stopped Brady short on his comeback drive to win the football game. That was a great win for the Bears. And, you know, 4-1, and one, then we followed up. We win our last game against Carolina, which was not a pretty win, but we won nonetheless. And then it was like, okay, well, you know, it's like we as Bear fans know we got a decent team on our hands, especially with our defense. Now we got the Rams, the Saints, the Titans. We're going to know what kind of team we have at the end of three weeks. And the answer that we got is not the one that we were hoping for. You know, it just it was it just like I I just got done detailing. It just cascaded and got even worse. And the Vikings were supposed to be our respite. That was supposed to be where we get we bounce back and get a win on the board before we go into the bye and get ready for uh, Green Bay. Like, you know, we should really be a six and five team, not five and six. We should have beaten Minnesota, even though nothing we did that day aside from the defense shows that we should have won but it's just like as far as like who the better team was coming in we should have won that game uh and everything like we should have lost every single one of those games against new orleans and uh new orleans was the only team that we we should have won because we had our chances in overtime but you know overall we we, we've we deserve the record that we have because of the way that we're playing on offense because the way that Nagy has set up uh you know our offense to basically fail on just about every play you know, and I've listened to guys talk about breaking down the all twenty-two, and all I hear about is that basically on just about every single play, the Bears are at a disadvantage. If you're talking about the numbers and the running game, or who's on the field versus who the defense has, and all that kind of stuff, it just makes you wonder what the hell Nagy and and now Bill Lazor are doing out there. You know, because it's like nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, and. You know, it's like, do you guys want to get fired? Is that what's going on? Because <laughs> you're not doing anything to give us an advantage out there on the field. That huge run from David Montgomery to start the to start the first uh, quarter, um, that was an, where we had numbers in our favor 
we had a, a matchup we were looking for, we exploited it, and then it basically just stopped after that. Yeah. And every other one was we were at some kind of disadvantage. We got guys in coverage when they should be up at the line of scrimmage, maybe blocking and all the rest of that stuff, man. And and and, and I know that you know, and I haven't heard that much about like like what went wrong with the Lions was. Was that more of a like a, a mutiny, like the players just not playing well, or, or was he doing something similar and, and putting the the players in positions to uh, to fail and, and and you know not come up with the results that uh, you're looking for? I mean, honestly, I think it was just a failure on every single level. I don't think it was necessarily one thing. I don't think it was the players giving up. I don't think it was necessarily bad scheme. It was just it was literally a little bit of everything. the the ro- The defensive roster is is a mess. And it's going to be even more of a mess this week with a couple more guys on IR as of today. Uh, it, you know, there, there's a certain amount of stubbornness both on offense and defense. When Patricia was here, the Lions played a lot of cover one man coverage um, on on defense. Didn't like to send a lot of blitzes. Or, you know, consistently one of the least blitz, blitzing teams under Matt Patricia, and they don't have a pure pass rusher on their roster. So. Put that all together, and defensively, there was just no coherent game plan with the talent that they had. Um, offensively, they they would always get too conservative, which is why you saw them blow all those leads that they did this year. And so, the the one thing I will say is I I don't think he lost the locker room at any sort of point. You know, say say what you will about all the former players that came out and, and oh basically my God. just yeah. you know pissed on his grave, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but the the guys that are there right now. And, and part of it is just like he got a bunch of Patriots guys that already loved him. Um, but I, I didn't see a lot of, you know, lack of effort type of, of things out, out there in the field. Just the talent wasn't there. The scheme wasn't right. And it just it just wasn't working, period. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've never seen that before with the way that, uh, you know, that, that players, ex-players and such were using social media to attack their former head coach like that. I mean – you know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the players that are there, those are his guys. And, you know, that, you know, there was no lack of effort or or any kind of mutiny there. But the players that he got rid of. Yeah, it was like an ugly breakup on just about every single level with all of those guys for all of them to come out like that independently and, you know, take subtle shots. Some of them were kind of backhanded you know, weren't really coming out and saying it, but we all knew what they were saying. And some of them were just flat out coming out and saying, you know, to hell with this guy. He said he was going to end my career. Well, it looks like they had other plans and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was, that was shocking uh, to me to see that to, to, for the guys to, you know, cause every other team in the league saw that as well. It's like, is this a guy I want to have on my team? That's going to do this. And, and, you know, this displeasure kind of thing with the, you know, if something doesn't go his way or whatever, it's, it's a risk those guys are taking, but they dislike Patricia so much they didn't care. Yeah, and 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 make make no bones about it. Like that first year that he was here, 2018, absolute disaster. I mean, it, it just so happened to be his best year record-wise. They went six and ten, but the the locker room was just a mess. From yeah. really from training camp is when we first started to hear things like there there's focusing too much on on you know getting in shape and and not that that's necessarily a bad thing but it's just everything was overthrown and I think by design I think Matt Patricia wanted to overthrow the the culture there he wanted to to be more serious and all that sort of stuff and for a roster that's just coming off of Jim Caldwell like the nicest person in the world uh the, the most players coach that you could ever get it was just 
so, you know, it was a complete 180. And and again, by design for for what Matt Patricia wanted to do, but it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and he and he went about it the wrong way. He, you know, he insulted players on the field, used colorful language that that probably didn't deserve to be said to some, you know, some leaders on the team, some Dar- Darius Slay, Glover Quinn, um, Quandre Diggs are, are all guys that at some point, you know, there was a rumor that that he trashed, like he trashed publicly on the field in in meeting rooms and. When you when you do that to the leaders, the 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 whole, like you if you're you know coming into a new roster, a new culture, you got to go to the leaders of that team and t- pull them aside and, and get them on your side. Yeah, you don't go attacking them right away and be like, oh, you're a leader on this team. I don't think so. I'm the leader. You suck. And then and then a year later they're all gone. You you've 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 either ostracized Darius Slade to a point where he's he's demanding a trade by the the end of your second year. You've already traded away Quandre Diggs, a captain and a fan favorite. Glover Quinn went and retired because he didn't want to deal with your crap. Uh, I mean, suddenly the reason why this team is so bereft of talent on, def- on the defensive side of the ball is like, oh yeah, because you ran out everyone good and then you decided the only players that, that have, you know, the mental fortitude of, of your kind of style is former Patriots. And when you limit yourself to former Patriots, well, guess what? You're not going to have the cream of the crop because the Patriots keep the cream of the crop. And then you're left with, you know, a guy like Trey Flowers is good, but probably not $90 million worth. Yeah. You, you get a guy like Danny Shelton, who's good, but probably not your full-time starter good. And so, th- I mean, that's that's really what happened in a nutshell. He, he ostracized everyone in year one. He did get better in year two, and in, in year three, he, he was certainly... Uh, more of I think a cohesive force but it, overall in the end it was just it was too little too late and by the time the culture was good he had already just carpet bombed the the, the roster in terms of talent and we are where we are now yeah and uh and I I fear the Bears aren't far behind you as yeah. far as new regime uh and everything I honestly do I think that we're we're in line for a change it's just that i don't think the change that we really need is going to be coming as far as like the people above pace and naggy being reshuffled or retooled or you know reallocated um because that's what i mean ask any uh bears fan that's the change that we really want it's like obviously we want something different naggy hasn't worked out he had the you know the first year shine but that's you know all gone now, whatever Nagy did in 2018 that worked so well has been figured out and is being exploited week in and week out. Uh, now, the the lack of um, uh, dedication to fixing, like or, or you know, having talent uh, on the offensive line, spending all the money on the defense, money well spent because we have a great defense, but you know, we got nothing going on offense. We picked the wrong guy uh, at quarterback, and I still contest we shouldn't have picked one to begin with. Um, you know, it just, uh, it's, you know, these guys have their, their resume, especially over the last few years is, is not one that we, you could support 2021 for either of them yeah. uh, at this point, but you know, we'll see what the McCaskies, uh, want to do. They're not like, uh, like some other teams that have the, uh, have the stones to, to admit their mistakes mid season and, you know, kind of show everyone, all right, we're in transition now. We're going to do what we can with the rest of the season and then start over when the offseason. And we're doing this to kind of get 
the inside track on whoever's available or so we can get to work on finding, you know, that person that's going to help us out. Uh, you know, the Bears are going to wait to the last minute to do it, and uh, we'll see how that we'll see how that all goes. But but I fear that uh, we'll be looking at at regime change, and um, as long as you still have the same people making those hires, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Yeah. So well, certainly know what that feels like with the Fords, and and you know this will be Sheila Ford Hamp's first crack at it as as she's only been on the job for four or five months, but yeah there's definitely the same kind of just consternation of like, I mean, first of all, you're doing it as, you know, just, you just, you just took the owner seat and now you have to basically build this, this franchise up from, from the beginning. Uh, but you know, obviously the, the job that her predecessors have done, whether it's her mother, uh, Martha Ford or, uh, William Clay Ford before, before her, um, obviously the, the results speak for themselves. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, does she have any kind of football background, or because been... we essentially have an economist or an accountant running the organization in Ted Phillips? <laughs> That's what he does, and yet we've got him running a football team, making football decisions. And I think, wow. like, I don't think necessarily people want Ted Phillips fired or anything like that. As, but I think that we definitely want Ted Phillips not making football decisions anymore that's not what he's qualified to do and that's what he has been doing from the beginning so is 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 your new owner or your new inherited owner does she have any kind of football background is she qualified to make these decisions or is she just simply doing the job because that's what she's got i mean it's kind of amazing what you just said because the team president rod wood is an economist who was hired Great. to just take care of the financial side of the of, of the franchise, and guess what? He's also been doing making football decisions. Making football decisions. He's been he's been sitting in on head coaching interviews. He's been he's he kind of spearheaded the GM search for for Bob Quinn five years ago, uh, and so yeah, it's it's very much a, a similar thing. And and some people were calling for Bob Quinn to get or I'm sorry for Rod Wood, the team president, to get fired along with everyone else. Um, this past week and it didn't happen and it certainly sounds like him and Sheila Fordham who to be clear um, she's she's always followed the team since Mm -hmm. you know her parents have owned the team Um, when Martha took over five years ago five six years ago um, she was right there behind her so she's at least been there um, kind of involved at least a little bit and she was actually somewhat involved in the decision to keep Matt Patricia for another year going into 2020 Um, And so that can either be a strike for her or against her, depending on your outlook there. But um, I would say my my own personal confidence in those two getting the job done is low, is very low. And and I do want to give Sheila Ford Hamp a a fair shot. I'm not going to bury her before she's, you know, made any sort of moves other than firing the two people that absolutely needed to get fired. Um, But, you know, I, I, I sat in on her press conference on Saturday, the day that they made the move and. She basically sounded like she didn't have a plan yet, and that's fine. Like she doesn't have to give me all the answers of what the process is going to be. And basically, her message was, "We're going to leave no stone unturned, uncovered, whatever." Um, But I didn't hear a a, a cognizant plan. I didn't hear, you know, a a direction in which she wanted to take the search. And so, to me, it's just like, all right, let's just hope they, you know, let's hope the the broken clock is right this time, Um, because I, I mean. There's, there's just not a lot of confidence to have in this group that, that you know, basically messed things up five years ago. And, and you just hope that Rod Wood, the team president, has, has learned in those five years. Um, but I'm 
I'm not sure if there's anything tangentially that I've I've seen so far uh, that would give me that kind of hope. So consider me in the in in the the group where I'm just like, okay, yeah, they got the job done in terms of getting rid of the people that they wanted, but I I don't like restarting, and I certainly don't like restarting a franchise with someone who just got on the job. That that is terrifying to me, and so. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not feeling very optimistic about the future right now. And I certainly know that even if they do get the right hire at GM, even if they get the right hire as the new head coach, this isn't a short-term project. This is probably going to take a couple of years, which means another couple bad seasons, which I mean, we just got rid of, we just, we were just at nine and seven. It seems like yesterday. Oh man. Preach it to the choir, bro. It's going to be, it's going to be, four or five years from then until we, we potentially get back there. And so it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, this is like lovey all over again, where it's just like at the time it kind of made sense that, you know, we've gotten to a point and we can't seem to get over the hump uh, with lovey. Like we can play well. We were competitive in the division basically the entire time. Lovey was a head coach all nine years. We were, you know, we were in the mix. We were, you know, competitive. We couldn't get over the hump with the, with the with the Packers, I mean that's been basically every Bears head coach's problem for the last 25 30 years. But, you know, you know, we were always going back and forth with the Lions and the Vikings. We're, you know, kind of always playing playing well and justifying his return. Nobody argued with Lovey coming back or anything like that. Then you start 7 and 1, but you finish 10 and 6. You miss out on the playoffs and, you know, I didn't want to see Lovey go, but I was like, I think it is time for someone else to try. Yep. Kind of, and I and I kind of did it in the vein of of um, Tony Dungy getting fired in lieu of John Gruden. Like Tony Dungy could, you know, took the Buccaneers from squalor to actually being a legitimate football team, to being a respected team, but couldn't quite get them over the hump to the Super Bowl. And John Gruden not only got him there, but he won it. I was thinking maybe the Bears were in that kind of mold like Tony uh, you know Lovey Smith got us so far he gets us to the to the playoffs or to the brink of the playoffs we've been you know a much better football team than we were when he took over in 2004 we're better off now than we were when he started but I think it's time for someone else to take the mantle maybe get us over the top and that's apparently where things went wrong you know like getting yeah. rid of Lovey was the wrong thing to do especially for the guy that we got rid of him for and, you know, Phil Emery screwed that up. And But it's like he's a GM. He wanted to make his coaching change or whatever, so he did. And that didn't work out, and it cost him his job. But, you know, that's not an issue you're going to have to deal with in Detroit because both of them yep. are gone. So it's not like a GM came in, and now he's going to hire his guy, and we'll go forward from there. You're starting with a clean slate here. And in a way that's exciting, and like you said, it's completely terrifying all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, what you described sounds to me exactly like what happened with the transition from Caldwell to Patricia. You yeah. know, Bob Quinn was in there, wanted to get his guy as a head coach. He, he held on to Caldwell for two years because Caldwell basically made it impossible for him to fire him in that first year when they went 9-7 and seven, made the playoffs. Made it tough for him again, going 9-7 and seven the following year, didn't make the playoffs, but I think the way that season ended, uh, you know, it, it was the opportunity that Bob Quinn had to to really bring in the guy that he wanted all along, guy he was comfortable with, had worked with before, and basically that was the beginning of the end for for Bob Quinn. You know, he made that decision to to move on from from uh, Jim Caldwell, one of the best coaches the Lions have ever had, which is probably says more about the Lions than it does Caldwell. But um, 
but yeah, I, I, that was kind of sealing his his own fate by bringing in his own guy and and you know rebooting the franchise and in his his image and Patricia's image and three three years in they just didn't make any progress and in fact they they almost certainly sent the team back a few in a few years and that's why I think this is a, a long term project they aren't where they were in 2007 and um, defensively especially that roster just needs to be completely overturned. Yeah. So that's the offense or the off season. Uh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We do actually <laughs> have five games left in this uh, in this shit show of a season. So let's uh, talk about the one we have in front of us. While we're talking to begin with uh, the game on Sunday, uh, Daryl Bevel, he's your interim coach. Can we expect anything different from the team except from a guy that's not going to physically berate your players? Uh, week in and week out before the game actually starts so they're not mentally beaten to death when they get to the game on Sunday or you know what else can we expect from from Daryl Bevel yeah it's interesting we've we've the media has kind of been poking and prying him and and players to to really get any sort of hint if that's going to happen because I think a lot of people are are kind of under the impression that Matt Patricia you know kind of tied his hands behind his back a little bit offensively the lines have always under Patricia kind of been this ball control offense where they're running the ball a lot. They're, they're trying to bleed clock and control the tempo and, and really just kind of move slow and methodically down the field. Whereas last year we saw a flash of it, um, at least with Bevel, where it's like big play after big play after big play, like unleashing Stafford's arm downfield. And that's been reined in so much this year that you're, everyone's just kind of wondering, well, now that Patricia's gone, maybe, maybe the, the you know, the shackles will be free and, and we'll, we'll get to see a more aggressive, more fun Daryl Bevel. And that's a, a word that he's used all week is like he wants to bring fun back to the team. And, and whether that means, you know, trick plays and, and throwing things downfield and, and the lines have done trick plays here and there, including a couple on Thanksgiving, actually. Uh, but I do get a sense that, that there is going to be something a little more a little different this week. And he mentioned tempo a little bit, or actually it wasn't him that mentioned tempo. It was left tackle Taylor Decker who mentioned today's practice was a little more up tempo and they're, you know, they're, they're using tempo to their advantage in practice. And maybe we'll see them go a little more, no huddle or something like that. So mm-hmm. I think there are going to be tweaks. Um, I think getting Deandre Swift back, which, you know, sounds like it's probably going to happen this week will also be, you know, a huge thing. The Lions' offense has been bad in the past couple weeks because he's been gone, they get shut out for the first time in over a decade, partially because he's gone. Also, Danny Amendola's been gone. Kenny Galladay's been gone. I think they get at least one of those two back, probably Amendola, uh, unfortunately, for Detroit. So offensively speaking, I think you could see that spark. Defensively speaking, no. <laughs> no hope. They're they're only worse off in terms of the roster than where they have been all season because Danny Shelton just went to injured reserve. So did Desmond Trufant. The Lions are just really hurting everywhere. I don't think Corey Unlin, the defensive coordinator, has anything up his sleeve. I don't think anything was being held back because him and Patricia have been friends for a long time. So I think defensively this team is still as screwed as it's ever been. Uh, offensively, though, we could see a little bit of a spark. Okay. Um, well, I mean, so I guess it sounds like we've got strength against strength and then weakness against weakness in our two yeah. matchups, and it's going to come down to which team can win those those matchups. You know, can our defense slow your offense down, this new up-tempo, fun, exciting offense that you're crossing your fingers that you hope you see on Sunday, or which one of these bottom-of-the-rung units on our offense your defense will be able to win the battle 
uh, on Sunday to help their team um, win because the result week one, it's kind of a mixed bag when you go back to look at that because that was the first ball football that any of those guys had played since at least January. Yeah. You know, for, for most of those guys. So we're talking nine months of, you know, walking walkthroughs and Zoom meetings and barely practicing football to playing football. You and I talked about that before week one about how many injuries and and what we were expecting because, you know, as I said over and over again, those guys having to go from zero to 60 uh, with no preseason, you know, the CBA has hamstrung the coaches in not letting their football players practice football in football practice and wondering why their bodies are falling apart and why they they can't handle this, that, uh, or the other. When I, when I had Emery Moorhead from the 85 Bears on my show, I asked him explicitly, asked him that question. It was like, I don't have the statistical uh, data to back this up, but it feels like ever since they signed that CBA in 2011 where they basically eliminated contact in practice, that injuries have skyrocketed across the league. Not to mention, all of a sudden, these guys making millions upon millions of dollars, no one knows how to tackle anymore, you know, because they're not practicing. They're not doing contact or, you know, no, no two days in, in training camp or like that anymore. And he's like, that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. And he's one of those guys that's kind of wired in, uh, you know, with retired players and, and stuff like that. He's got his finger on the pulse of all that stuff. And he told me, he's like, that's absolutely true. It absolutely is. These guys don't practice the way they used to. They're bigger, faster, stronger than we were in my day. And yet they're practicing the game not even a third of what we used to back then and the result is is showing up uh on the field you know and it's and and then week one it's just like all of that plus you know covid hamstringing everybody for everything so it's like no one really knew what to expect week one so to see us come out and just be as bad as we possibly could be for the first three quarters of the game was frustrating and yet not at all surprising considering what we were what we're going for and then the fourth quarter happened and they were like okay so that happened and you know so is is so is this like okay the the lions gonna lion kind of thing in the fourth (laughs) quarter or did we really do something here or was this one of those week one fluke things or or whatever it's like no one really knew how to feel and the only conclusion really anyone could draw from that was two things one patricia led lions blow another late lead and two the Bears should have lost that game if not for DeAndre Swift. It's like outside of that, there was some people patting Mitch on the back for not completely blowing all four quarters and showing up at the at the end. But overall, it was you know Patricia and his you know whatever this guy's problem is with fourth quarters or hanging on to leads and then but they still should have won. That was like the prevailing factor uh, from that game. But it's like we all every, I think everyone walked away from week one. It's just like, well, how how should we feel about this game? Yeah. You know, it's like, how should we feel about it? Win or lose, Bears or Lions fans, you know, it was really confusing going into week two. You know, how do we feel about how did you guys feel after week one? Was it frustration? What it was like? Yeah, well, of course, that happens. We're the Lions, for Christ's sake. Or was it, you know, you felt good of things. You know, if the rookie catches the ball, we're fine. You know, that kind of. Th- what What were you guys feeling after week one? Um, it was it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of well, 
you know, it, it sucks to let a division game slip away like that. But, yeah. you know, if Swift, Swift catches that ball, we're good. We're, yep. we're, we're in a good spot. But I think the prevailing <laughs> theory more was like that team blew a 21-point lead to Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. Who yeah, cares yeah. about what the rookie did? That's unacceptable. Right. And that's something we've seen time and time again with this coaching staff is they can't hold on to leads. They can't they can't play with the lead. They they don't know what to do. Defensively they're just bad. And and so I mean I the way I remember that game is that they it didn't even feel like they were doing that good of a job stopping Chicago in the first half. Chicago was kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Oh for sure. You know, they they for were getting sure. they were they had plenty of plays inside of Lions territory in that first half and, and they only walked away with six points. So mm-hmm. It kind of felt like it was only a matter of time before, you know, that dam was going to burst. And then it certainly did in that fourth quarter. So I, I I think I think most people realize, like, things are not OK. Not a lot of people in Detroit respected that Chicago team, even though they were coming off a, you know, an OK season last year. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people thought, you know, that o- they didn't do anything to fix the offense. Nope. The defense is going to be who they are. Yep. And so our offense was expecting to be really good. There was very high expectations for that Detroit offense going into the season. Yeah. Granted that you, that you had a healthy Matthew Stafford, granted that you, you got a, a brand new running back and, and you overhauled the offensive line with a lot of new and good no, pieces. Uh, no, uh, no Galladay or, or Galladay in that, in that game, right? I believe that's true. I, Didn't I he miss like the first three right. or four games or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he had a hamstring. So you're right. Um, so, you, you know, that that's a big blow to the offense and, I don't know. I think overall, people mostly came out of that game going, you know what? This is more the same in Patricia. I, they better turn yeah. this around quickly because they got, you know, a couple more division games coming off right off the bat. And so if, if you know, if we're, we're even to see a little bit of this going forward and they don't learn from these the same mistakes of going into a shell with a lead and not, you know, being aggressive on either side of the ball with the lead, um, then we're going to see more of this. And lo and behold, the following week, they get up to like a, a 10 nothing lead against the Packers in the first quarter, uh, a 14-3 lead against the Packers in the first quarter. They end up losing that game by three touchdowns. That's it. Like that's yeah, I think that was, to that was yeah. it wasn't necessarily the breaking point for everybody, but I think at that point, I would say maybe even half the fan base was already at the point of no return with with Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah. The Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online knows you might not be able to get out to a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head on over to Bet Online today and use promo code Armchair to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Support for the Bearstock Underground also comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision, precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up. And get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. And I'm talking, of course, about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. 
The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as using on your balls. That's just nasty. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why aren't you putting it on the smelliest part of your body? And yes, your balls do stink. Speaking of sweaty, stinky balls, I am thankful for their Crop Reviver. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keep your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And... (laughs) Boy, they really paint a really great picture of what's going on down there, don't they? And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day long. It's time to upgrade those uh, overused pair of boxers in Manscaped high-performance anti-chafing boxers. Tis the season to Manscaped to get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Once again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Your balls will thank you. And with that, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's very much like where I, like when I mentioned before, Watching that game in a sports bar and at halftime, I'm like, that's it. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. I don't care. Get him out of there. He's doing everything that he did in 2019, and I I suffered through that. I swallowed it. I dealt with it. I stomached it all, okay, and I didn't puke my goddamn guts out after every single game, which I was fully within my rights to do, but – Here it is. It's 2020. I don't care about COVID or anything like that. They say he won the quarterback competition. He beat out a guy that we all know is better than him and yet, or has at least played better than he has. And yet he's showing every reason why we didn't want him there in the first place. Sit him down. He's done, you know? And then the funny thing was he pulled Mitch when I don't think anybody was expecting him to. (laughs) right right you know it's like granted the moment made sense as far as like him nearly throwing a pick six uh and everything which ironically that tackle saved the game because if they score Mm -hmm. we're tying the game instead of taking the lead on that last touchdown that we scored um but which i thought was kind of hilarious but it's (laughs) his his last respite as head as as quarterback of the team is to save save a victory for us which was funny to me but you know, it's like I, I just remember, you know, how frustrating it was to sit there. I mean, it was maddening to watch in the first quarters. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, seeing this improved Mitchell Trubisky, all that Nagy could do was talk about how his accuracy is better, his footwork is better, and, blah, and then none of it was better. He was just his old self. Like, there was one play, and I talked about it on, on, on last week's show, actually, where Trubisky – makes this amazing throw to Allen Robinson, who has to make this unbelievable, you know, hands catch uh, in triple coverage when he had Jimmy Graham running. Like, he was so wide open, Jeremy, that he probably would have scored if Mitchell throws him the ball, okay? (laughs) Like, there are three guys. He throws it into a three-man pocket in 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 the secondary, 
where if he throws a five-yard dump off to Jimmy Graham, he is so wide open. He, it's at least 25, 30 yards before anybody even touches him. That's how wide open he was. But he's got to go to his guy, Allen Robinson, instead of making the, the, the easy five-yard catch. And he did the exact same thing on Sunday night against the Packers, which means he learned nothing in his break, in his time, in his, you know, his time watching the game instead of playing it. He threw it to a guy that three defensive backs were converging on before he even throws the ball. <laughs> three guys are converging on Darnell Mooney when he's got Allen Robinson one-on-one wide open across the middle for a first down, but he takes the shot downfield instead. You know, and that, that's why Mitch is not going to be a bear in 2021, and he'd be lucky to be with anybody, quite frankly, uh, with the way that he's played the last several years because he's proven week in and week out that he, he can play but he just can't play well. Like he 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 looks the part. He does. You know, he looks the part. He's a good-looking kid. He he's he is the athletic. He, you know, like I was talking about the, the the effortlessness and the way he plays the game versus how clunky and stiff uh Nick Foles can look sometimes, but he makes all the wrong reads. He makes all the wrong mistakes. He does very little things correctly. You know, he can do them well, but he doesn't do them right. You know, yeah. that's the thing. So it, it it's just uh, you know, week 1 was so frustrating and uh, you know, can come away feeling lucky because a rookie made a rookie mistake. That's why uh, we won the game. And then when I when I was going back and looking at things, I forget exactly what the um, statistic was, but it was like this was Matt Patricia's 33rd game as head coach of the Lions, and he's lost X amount of percent of those games. He's given up leads because yeah. I think they said it was like the 11th or 12th. So 33% of the games <laughs> yeah, uh, that, like that he's been the head coach for, he's had a lead going into the fourth quarter, and he lost. It was like, that'd be enough for me to put a bullet in my head. Yep, and that's <laughs> I mean, that's that's how it felt. It really felt like, I mean, everything in the offseason was just like, maybe this has finally turned a corner. They, he finally has his guys. He finally has a locker room that believes in his vision. You know, he's, he's had two years to learn on the job. The offense is coming back healthy and, and, and explosive and, and all that sort of stuff. And for the first game, the very first game of the season to be the exact same storyline we saw for two years, it was just like, gotta be kidding me, man. We spent all off season hyping you up and this is what you're going to give us. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. I just, just got done with my little diatribe there. That's what we thought. Yep. That, you know, we've we, all the things that we were hurting, we thought we improved on them. We went out and signed, you know, great that he's probably past his prime, but we signed an all-pro tight end. We drafted the future of our tight end position right behind him. We got this young, exciting rookie corner, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we go out there and it's like, and we're down 27 to 6 right now or 24, <laughs> whatever the hell the score was. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ, this is happening again. You know, this is what we're going to do against the Lions. No disrespect, but come on. You know, it's like I know that we don't we, – we, we, we lose more than we win in Detroit, but come on. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing for us to lose the game. It's another for us to get laughed out of an empty stadium the way that we were for the first three quarters of that game. And, you know, then the fourth quarter happens. You still don't walk away feeling very good about it, you know. Yeah, and it turns out we were both right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So, you know, and then this this game comes along, and you guys have lost, what, four out of five, five out of six, whatever it is, four out of five. Yeah. Um, we've lost all five of those games. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, if not for a crazy finish with the uh, football team mm-hmm. uh, from Washington, you're also on a five-game losing streak right along uh, with us uh, and everything. So it's just like something's got to give in this game. And, and at this point, I don't know what it's going to be because I don't know if Akeem Hicks is coming back, if he's going to be healthy enough to play this week it was obvious we missed him against green bay but you know it just seems like the defense did not show up for that green bay game at all pagano seemed out of sorts and getting outsmarted by lafleur at every turn in that game and you know not that daryl bevel is the chess player that lafleur appeared to be on sunday but you know it just seemed like pagano didn't really do anything to fix what wasn't working against Green Bay. He stuck with the three-man rush and dropping eight and watched Aaron Rodgers sit back there, take seven seconds to find a receiver and pick us apart and still kept sending three guys and dropping eight uh, regardless of it. So he didn't learn his lesson in that one. And the defense really wasn't giving any kind of effort uh, in the third quarter. That's where the game really got away from us uh, and everything. And then with Mitch and the offense, it's like, what kind of progress are we going to give get before Mitch does something Mitch-like and gives the ball away or makes a mistake that costs us or ends the drive and throws it to this guy when that one was open and, and things like, I mean, the cynicism and all that kind of stuff, and it's just it's at an all-time high yeah. right now to the point where the people that are asking for us to tank so we'd have better positions are kind of winning the day right, right. now. And you know how I feel about that stuff. And it's just it makes me nuts to hear people talk that way. But those people are the ones that everyone's kind of bandwagoning on to to improve what could be in 2021. Well, yeah. And and I would say Lions fans, I feel like Lions fans are maybe 80 percent in that boat right now where it's all about draft position. And I understand it like I, I I sympathize with both sides. I'm I'm the kind of person that always roots for their team on Sunday just because. Why would I be watching? Why would I be following this team if I wasn't watching them to win? But right. obviously, I mean, the Lions are in a spot where their their schedule is god awful going forward. They're probably gonna win at most one game, maybe two, mm-hmm. and and it, it it probably comes either this week or week seventeen against the Vikings because yeah. the other games are the Packers, Titans, and Buccaneers. Right. And if they if they lose all five of these games, they're probably picking in the top five and. To pick in the top five in back-to-back seasons, I get it. That's tempting. That's that's how you restart a franchise. And with a new GM, what better way to, to draw someone in than with a top five pick? I get all of that. But at the same time, I'm sick of losing to the damn Bears. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this team hasn't won a divisional game since 2018. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. They went, they went 0-6 last year, and they're wow. 0-3 to start this year. They, Matt Patricia never beat the Chicago Bears. He never beat the Minnesota Vikings. So if Daryl Bevel can come in and beat the Bears in, in his first career game, I'm all for it. I'm sorry, sure. like I don't yeah. care. I need, I need, I need to feel that again. I need, and and I know I probably drove you and your your uh, your listeners crazy with the we own the Bears stuff from from three years ago. <laughs> but like, I'd love to throw that hashtag out. Just oh, one who wouldn't, time. man? You know, who wouldn't? <laughs> Well, I, you know what I always thought was funny was that you would you would well you would engage with them, yeah. uh, you know, because so everybody's so cool on Twitter, 
<laughs> you know, everybody's so measured with their thoughts and all that kind of stuff. It's like, right. why would you do that? It's like, well, actually, it was wasn't so much why would you do that. It's like yeah. I'm talking to Bear fans. Why are you doing that? You know why he's doing it. Why are you letting him? You idiots. Just don't do it. I know it's irritating to hear a Lions fan talking shit like that, but don't don't take the bait. Right. Don't take the bait. Believe me, you I know? know that the Lions went 0 and 16 in 2008. You can't you can't pull that card on me like I didn't know it happened. Right. So, that 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 to me was more frustrating than you needling <laughs> the Bear fans. It was them actually responding. It's like, "Oh yeah. god. You're <laughs> such an idiot. What you see what he's doing and you're letting him do it anyway. You deserve what happens here." <laughs> so, that that was the thing that that always kind of frustrated me and, and made me laugh hilariously at this it's like you 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 deserve whatever you get here you deserve it's like I, jeremy's a clever guy i'm pretty sure he's gonna find a way to, to make you look st- even more stupid than you are for responding in the first place <laughs> but you deserve whatever you get whatever you get so you know that's what i would sit back and i would watch those those interactions like oh boy here we go so but you know it's just and, and i totally get it I absolutely get it. We're, I mean, we're in that same boat with the with the Packers. That's the yeah. one team that we can't get past. You know, we can we can split a series with the with the Vikings. We can sweep a series or split a series with the with the Lions year in and year out. But one win in you know, or you know, one win for for each Tressman, Fox, and Nagy in each of their tenures up to this point. One win apiece against yeah. Green Bay. Yeah, you know, I mean, just that's so three out of what twelve, fourteen games, whatever it was. I mean, that's pathetic. And what's what's even more frustrating is it doesn't matter what kind of team the Bears have. Green Bay makes it look easy, no matter what. And they're the ones that can always kind of figure out, even if they're super gluing a team together to come in and win a football game uh, against the. Uh, against the Bears and it's just over and over they're superior to us in some kind of way that always costs us uh the game or you know or it's a mental thing like we can't get out of our own way and stop making mistakes that cost us big uh, uh against uh a Green Bay and that's the same thing I see that happening a lot in the Bears Lions games that you know one step forward two steps back because that 20 yard play is coming back because <laughs> your your guard held on that play. He, he right. couldn't let Akeem Hicks get past him, so he held and he got caught, you know, and things like that. The Bears do that all the time. We had a huge play on third down uh, against Green Bay. Charles Leno held on that play. So we went from getting first down on like third and seven to now it's like third and 20-something, and, you know, we're giving the ball back on the next play. And it's just those are the kind of things that keep happening in those games and that's why we can never get again over the hump against them and then for the last few years at least that's been the tail of the tape for the bears or for the lions trying to get past the bears yep and everyone else <laughs> <laughs> right but especially that uh yeah yeah you know especially that one because I mean, there's always that one team that that always kind of seems because you've had an easier time beating green bay over the last few years than we have it's true yeah you know, and and frankly, we've had better teams over the last few years than you've had. But you figure out a way to beat Green Bay and handily. And twenty, didn't you sweep them in in Patricia's first year as coach? Um, they might have. I know the the second one was kind of fool's gold because the Packers and Lions weren't playing for anything in, in Week Seventeen. Yeah, but I can't remember the first one of that. 
I think season. you actually they, did beat them. They may have beat them. And, I mean, last year they came really close to beating them in that Monday night football game in Oh, dude, Green don't get Bay. me started. That game made me insane. You made you insane. I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying. It's like it's that's how bad it was. Even it made me crazy, you know, to watch Green Bay keep getting these those stupid. Uh, what was it like the roughing the passer or illegal, illegal hands, hands to the face? To the face yeah. yeah, come on. Yeah. yeah, and you're right. He they did sweep him in 2008 that or 2018. Um, Mason Crosby. That was the Mason Crosby game where he, I think he missed four field goals in that game. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's just. You know, that is what it is, and it's just um, like I, I get the the sentiment, you know, and it's like yeah. I'm tired of losing to this team. I'm tired of losing uh, to them because that's that's where you're, you know, you kind of kind of go back on that. Like, you know, like I always like to say the, the yeah, but thing, and it's like, yeah, we went nine and seven, but we got swept by the Bears this year. So. Yep. Yep. You know, we should have had those wins or, you know, look, look, look at the record we could have had if we had won those games and and things like that. And no matter how well we play, we can't seem to get past Chicago and, you know, things like that. That's us every year with with Green Bay. Yep. It's like, yeah, we weren't uh, we went 12 and four, but we lost that week one game against. We should have won that game against Green Bay to start off the year. Imagine what we would have been. Blah, blah, blah. It's uh, it's tough, man. And, you know, we both got an interesting offseason uh, coming up despite how these last five games go. And, you know, I'm I'm interested to see how it's going to turn out. I'm interested to see how Detroit's going to respond to the new coach. And, you know, maybe it, this could be addition by subtraction, uh, getting Patricia out of there with, uh, with this little chunk of time left and uh you know we'll see what the bears can do now that our coach is publicly calling them out uh you know like i said i think it's too little too late as far as him you know showing some kind of outrage over the way we've been playing the last month and and change we went oh for november That's yeah never good <laughs> no not at all the the meat of the schedule right there in the middle you didn't win a single thing yeah that's not good uh at all you know we got five games left and um you know, I think what what really bothers me is that you know Bear fans are in kind of tank mode so that we can draft a quarterback. And honestly, Jeremy, with all the problems that we've had at the position, it's actually the last one I want to draft hmm. at this point. I don't want the Bears to draft another quarterback. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you know, I didn't want us to draft Trubisky. I didn't want Trubisky. I didn't want Watson. And I didn't know enough about Mahomes. So. It's like I didn't want the Bears to draft a quarterback because we had one of the worst offensive offseasons forever. Because, you know, Pace, Pace treated Fox like a lame duck coach going into that one. He got him absolutely no help on offense. We got rid of Jake Cutler simply because the fan base just didn't want him around anymore. I think he made that move to appease the fans more than anything else because he paid Mike Lennon just the same money that we were going to pay Jake Cutler in the first place. And, um, you know, we, we got no help on the offensive side, and then we, we draft the quarterback, not to mention giving up, like, four picks to move up one spot in order <laughs> to do it. And I was like – and I said it. I was doing knee-jerk reactions from the draft, and I was like, we don't have a football team around him right now. Yeah. Like, we literally have no one. I mean, we barely have guys that can block for him. We certainly don't have anyone for him to throw to – this is the worst idea, the worst idea. 
you know, regardless of whether it was Watson or Mahomes or, you know, it was like just drafting a quarterback, period. I was vehemently against it, vehemently against it. This is not the right move. That's the last thing that I want. Anyone who thinks the Bears should draft a quarterback is delusional. I thought, thought it was the last thing in the world that we should have been doing. And we went ahead and did it. And I'm back on that train again. You know, we, we don't have an offensive line that we can trust. We're probably going to lose Allen Robinson in the offseason, which leaves us with not much in the wide yeah. receiving core after that. It's like we need to add a few more pieces and then add the quarterback to that. Let him be the cherry on top as opposed to trying to build around him because we've proven in our history we can't do it. We can't get the quarterback and then build around him because we end up destroying the poor bastard because we don't have a roster that can help the kid succeed while we try to build around him. So we got to put the team together first and then go get our quarterback. And I fear that if we keep losing and that if we're in a position to even get close to somebody we want, they're going to pull the trigger on, especially if we get a new GM and a new coach in here together, they're going to want to go out there and get their guy. And I'm, I'm totally against it. That's fair. I mean, it's, it makes a lot of sense. And Lions are probably going to be facing a, a similar conundrum, uh, albeit kind of different with, with Matthew Stafford. But sure. a lot of people are talking right now, you know, what is the future at quarterback in Detroit? And it's it's no longer a clear answer, which is sad to say because I, I do like Ma- I do like Matthew Stafford a lot. I think he's easily the best quarterback this franchise has ever seen. He's also a a stand-up guy and a yeah. good locker room leader. And I, I'd hate to see him go somewhere else and succeed. But at the same time, I understand from a franchise standpoint, we're getting towards the point in his career and, and the point in his contract where you got to start having those tough conversations. And uh, Can you afford to let him go? I mean, salary cap-wise? I mean, are you going to take a huge cap hit? Because I know are. you just gave yep. him an extension like a year or two. Uh, ago is like can you afford to let him go or are you basically just gonna take all your hits at once new coach new gm you know 20 million dollar cap hit to let stafford move on and then we go on you know looking forward to 2022 and where we can really make some moves and we've got some good cap space and and stuff like that it's a trade-off right it's it's about like you said a 20 million dead cap hit if they move on from him which is very significant but he's a 35 cap hit guy if they keep him and so you hit the, the trade-off there is do you just kind of like make the move this year and get what you can for him now? Because you wait another year, his value probably goes down. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's significant or not. It depends on how he plays. You know, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries the past few years. So if he can't get through, let's say, the rest of this season healthy or if, if you decide to keep him next year and he suffers another injury, well, then maybe – People are looking at a 33, 34-year-old Matthew Stafford and be like, I'm not trading a first-rounder for that. But yeah. could you get one this year going into 2021? Maybe. And so you have to factor – you kind of have to factor all that in, and you probably have to put them in – you probably have to put out a few calls and see what teams are willing to give in, and then the new GMS to decide, do I cut bait now? Just, you know, maybe I can I can mess with the contract a little bit and make it spread out, the, the cap it spread over the next two years so we're not taking a big hit in this – covid affected camp or you say you know what let's let's draft a guy or let's wait a year to draft a guy have him sit behind stafford for a year or two then we move on and it's not it's not really a a a black and white choice there's it's it's tough and that's why 
it's it's a it's a real tough conversation to have right now, especially with people who have supported Stafford for a long time. A lot of people that haven't supported Stafford for a long time because he hasn't been winning, and so a lot of people are are ready to move on from him too. And uh, I I don't, honestly I don't even know where I stand at on this point. It's 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 tough to see a a, a great player like him go, um, but it's totally understandable that that now might be the time to move on. Yeah, never a fun uh, discussion to have, especially for someone who's been around. And despite what's been around him, he has been good, yeah. even if the teams haven't been good. Yep. You know, and then in those like those playoff years, 2011, 2014, he was out of this world. Yep. You know, to, to, with the touchdowns and racking up the yards and him and Megatron doing their thing and uh, and all that kind of stuff, it, you know. The, the discussion about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer is like, well, his stats would one would say one thing, but his win-loss record would say something completely different. Right. You know, that's not necessarily his fault. Right. You know, not his fault that he played for the Lions his entire career and he was able to, you know, do some really impressive things and some noteworthy things uh, on offense when he had one crap defense after another you know, because that was the thing, you know, and you and I have talked about that before, was that in 2011, 2014, he literally had to outscore the opponents because his defense was going to do nothing to stop yeah. the opponent. Like you were averaging 38, game, 38 points a game because you needed to. Right. Not because you were good enough to score 38 points, but you had to score 38 yep. points a game to win because your defense was going to give at least 31 up to the other team. And those games that you lost were when you – ran into a defense that was good enough to slow you down or you know <laughs> you you ran into an offense that really racked it up against your defense uh in in those games and it's just like that's not on Matt Stafford that he was you know party to a defense that gave up 40 points uh in in a playoff game where he scored 35 um that kind of thing cuz there's there's the, there's always you know that cliche if you score 35 points you should never lose a game Correct. And, yeah. you know, how many games did Matt Stafford lose when his offense scored 31, but his defense gave up 32, um, you know, and things like that. So it's it's a tough, a tough situation to be in because, you know, it's not his fault that he's in the spot that he's in for the most part. And, you know, he's getting older, which is a, a race that everybody loses. And, sure. um, you know, the older you get, the the less value that you have or the easier you are to move on from. Uh, and things like that. So it's it's just it, it it sucks that it's that it's coming to this, but it's like that discussion kind of began last year with the Tua thing. You guys drafting third yep. overall, Stafford yep. missed most of last year with that back injury and uh, and things like that. Is you know, is now the time? Do we bring Tua in, and let him study behind Stafford, or do we trade Stafford now and let Tua take over or or whatever? If you guys are back in top five territory, then you're in. Justin Fields territory, you're in Trey Lance territory, Zach Wilson. You know, there's a lot of intriguing guys that are going to be in that spot with a new GM and a new head coach. Are they going to want to make their mark with this new guy and move on from Stafford or bring in, you know, the Jordan Love, if you will, of the draft to right. to to be behind that guy and use your first round pick on the quarterback of the the future and let Stafford do what he can and you know, let him play out to a point where you can feasibly let him go as opposed to twenty million dollar cap hits and uh and things like that or you know do you just cut bait altogether and let the rookie go from here yeah and i think i think draft pick draft status might have a lot to do with what they end up deciding to do because 
there are a lot of people that are of the belief that if you're in that top five, top three range, then you almost no matter what your situation is, you need to be considering quarterback just in terms of value of that pick. Or at, at least, least at, the, at least, I'm sorry for interrupting, at yeah, least no. you have to be open to the idea of, yep. of, of a king's ransom to move out of that spot. Right. You know, yeah. instead of taking like the best player available to, you know, in the top five or say if you're, you know, like your top 10 right now or, you know, seven or eight, whatever it is, maybe I want to trade my pick to so-and-so right. and move back into the, the, the late teens or the 20s and rack up some picks instead of taking that offensive tackle or that wide receiver or that running back or whatever that's going to help my team right now. Maybe I want to back up and load up on and get some more guys uh, in that. You have to at least be open to that if you're not willing to pull the trigger on the quarterback. Yeah, and I think I think that's what Lions fans are really hoping in this past draft. Um, people were okay with drafting Jeff Okuda, but a lot of people would have preferred to draft Jeff Okuda at five instead of three and pick up an extra first. Sure. And – and yeah, I think that's also going to be very much a an idea in the in the general manager's mind, whoever he or she may be, because the Lions only have five draft picks next year. This oh, isn't wow, in, in, yeah. I mean, and, and granted, the the ones that they're missing are I think a sixth and a seventh, so or maybe a fifth and a seventh or something like that. Um, but not a ton of draft capital for the new GM, which I think might be a reason why it's not as appealing as a job as maybe someone like Houston or or whoever else has uh, GM openings going into the year, maybe the Bears even. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you have to have all those sort of options open, and, and, and drafting a quarterback is certainly one, trading back is certainly one. We, you, you have to have a, a GM with an open mind who's just going to not focus necessarily on getting the team better for 2021, but the long term. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, just real quick, to, you know, the game on Sunday, you know, wh- what, are you, what are you thinking for – for Sunday, what do you? Ho- I know you're hoping for a victory, but what are you ultimately hoping to see from the team? I mean, I'd love to see just you know a, a different kind of offense out there, one that's a little more aggressive, one that uses their talented guys. And again, it probably looks like Kenny Galladay's not gonna be a go. But the Lions have a lot of talent on that again? offensive side of the ball. Yeah, he didn't practice on on Wednesday, so wow. It seems like maybe you know I don't know if they they eventually shut him down for good or, or what exactly is happening there, but. Um, they still have DeAndre Swift. They still have TJ Hawkinson, who I think was second amongst all tight ends in, in receiving yards in November. Um, they need to focus more on those guys. Those are those guys should be centerpieces to their offense. And DeAndre Swift got his first start of the season when he last played and put up 150 all-purpose yards. So uh, I'd like to see that again. I'd like to see um, you know more more aggressive play calling maybe on defense too, sending some blitzes. A little more often, um, getting Trubisky a little rattled. Yeah, making be a bad it make, idea. make it so he doesn't throw three touchdowns against only the Lions every <laughs> single week. Um, but I'm not, I don't I don't know if I'm expecting any of that. If I'm being completely honest, I mean both teams have a like this is a potential for a big rebound game. Whether yeah. people respond to Matt Nagy and his whole rant earlier in this week, whether the the Lions respond to a firing and a and a new different kind of leadership, um, whichever team I guess you know, kind of rebounds better off that big change or that big, you know, moment in, in the franchise's career probably wins on Sunday. How are you guys against the run this year? They were horrible in the first four weeks. They came out a lot better out of the bye week um, with their only their only real slip up against the Vikings and Delvin Cook who ran all over him. But Delvin Cook, you know, sure. you, you can you can give him an exception. 
Um, but otherwise, they've actually been very good. Mm. Um, the one thing I would say, though, is they just lost Danny Shelton for the year, the big nose tackle. So mm. might not be as good this week. Okay. Well, it's just that, that, you know, this past weekend against the Packers was the first time that we've looked competent right. in the running game in a really long time. And I was wondering if we might be able to build on that this week against the uh, Lions because the Lions in the beginning, like you were saying, you guys were terrible against the run in the first four weeks of the season. We were actually pretty good running the football at the beginning of the season, the first three, four, actually the first three games because we ran into the Colts. That stopped almost immediately. Um, The Colts and the Buccaneers are two of the best run defenses in the league. We did nothing on the run against those teams, but against – Detroit, the Giants, and the Falcons in the first three weeks, we averaged like 130 yards a game in those first three games and have been bottom of the league ever since then. And this past week, we got more. Honestly, it, as sad as it's been, we basically got more in one run out of David Montgomery than we'd been averaging, you know, <laughs> like in the five weeks prior uh, right. to that. That 57-yarder he broke off was close to like the 60-yard average we've had over the last, you know, or in this entire losing streak we've been absolutely incompetent in running game because our offensive line has been so bad and it seemed like we had a decent combination you know or one that worked on Sunday uh, against the Packers because Montgomery not only did he have that big 57 yarder he broke 100 yards for the first time this year mm-hmm. against Green Bay on Sunday when he only ran the ball 11 times which is the other thing that makes Bear fans want to slam their head into a goddamn wall is that <laughs> you know we finally figured out how to run the football and like put the rest of the put the big run aside then you've got 10 carries for like 47 yards. That's an average I can work with, man. Right. Give that guy the ball. Let him run 25 times uh, a game at four yards a carry. Let's do that, you know, and see if he can break one for 12, 15 yards and uh, and stuff like that. But instead it's like, no, you know, we're, we're going to go ahead and throw the ball 58 times. And, you know, even though our running back is running the ball well, it doesn't really matter. We've got an offense to run here. So, you know, just wondering if, if maybe if you guys are struggling against the run, maybe we can, you know, use that and let Montgomery build on the game that he had against uh, uh, Green Bay because leaving the game in Mitch's hands is a recipe for disaster, even in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, I just uh, was hoping that would be something we could take care of uh, this week and, and see if they can build on our first decent performance in the offensive line in eight weeks. So, yeah. um, but we'll see. We'll see. Like I'm, I'm intrigued to see the game. Um, you know, as a as a football fan, I, I, I look forward to the day that the Lions start playing um, well. Because I actually one of my favorite times in football was in the early '90s when the Bears and Lions were duking it out for the yeah. NFC Central yeah. uh, championship. You know, when it was Barry Sanders and you know those days and Rodney Pete and and uh, Herman Moore and all those guys. Though that would that was fun football. Uh, back then, back when the NFC Central sent four teams a year to the playoffs. <laughs> you know, the only team that didn't make the playoffs was the Buccaneers, and they yep. were the last place team. But the <laughs> Packers, the Bears, the Lions, the Vikings, all of them made the playoffs. And now that we have seven playoff teams, that's something we can do again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's see if we can't uh, get this division headed in the right direction. Let's be the NFC West next year, where it's it's a, in a matter of, you know, who's going to be the odd man out that doesn't make the playoffs as opposed to, you know, the division winner winning like the NFC East. The division winner has to make the playoffs, unfortunately. <laughs> right. And, you know, speaking of which, real quick, just a funny note. Um, have you seen what the draft order looks like for the NFC East right now? <laughs> yeah, all, 
all I mean, technically all four of them would probably be above the Lions in terms of draft order, but three of them currently are. And then obviously who's who's leading it now? Is it the Giants? The Giants. It goes it's like three, three, six, eight, nineteen. <laughs> you know, even though both the the Eagles and the uh Giants are, you know, whatever, like well, the Eagles are like four and eight or whatever, but you know, it's because the the Giants are technically in the playoffs right now right. and leading the division, despite being four and seven. They're <laughs> drafting nineteenth right now uh, as the the. You know, oh, it's just like that's hilarious, man. That is so funny. The Cowboys are first drafting in the you know three. I think the Eagles are six, and the 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 Skins are, are I think are the ones that are tied with the Giants, but the Giants have swept the the, the Skins, the the football team. <laughs> and uh you know but it's like yeah three six eight nineteen hilarious <laughs> hilarious Great. so uh anyway jeremy uh as fun as always to to talk to you man and uh even though we didn't talk about the game much and more so the the sad state of our franchises and uh you know what we hope to see and and uh things like that um still always fun having you on the show we look forward to having you back again real soon yeah, of course. And, and we, we already, you know, completely scrapped our preview podcast. We're just talking about coaches now. So uh, good on you for sticking with it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, what else is there right yeah. now? You know, yep. it's like we, we, we either know exactly what to expect, which won't be good. Or if it comes out and it's great, be like, wouldn't that be a great surprise? Right. You know, kind of thing. So why, why sit here and talk about, you know, either sit here and depress ourselves right into, you know, drinking by talking about what we've seen on the field for the last 11 weeks. Why not talk about the future and the possibility of brightness and happiness and success <laughs> as opposed to, you know, playing out the string, which is really what both of our teams are doing right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So where can we hear that show talking about the future of the Detroit Lions? Well, I literally just had Matt Mayoko from uh, NBC Sports Bay Area on nice. our podcast about a couple hours ago is when we recorded. Uh, we, we talked all about Robert Sala, 100% Robert okay. Sala, the, the nice. 49ers defensive coordinator. Yeah, it's going to be a big how, name in the offseason. Yep, and you know he's a, he's a Dearborn native, which is about two oh, miles outside okay. of the Lions uh, training facility. So um, there, there's a lot of hope that he's their guy. He's my number one favorite guy at this point. Um, but we're, we're far off from that. I mean, the Lions have to find a GM too, and they might sure. decide to do that first. So we'll see. Right. All right. Uh, it's good. By the way, pride of Detroit. So just search pride of Detroit on any of your podcast platforms. If the you're POD cast. Yes. The POD cast. Just search pride of Detroit, because I think <laughs> if you search POD cast, you're going to find a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. You're going to find it. <laughs> you needle in a haystack. You type in POD cast. So, all right, Jeremy, always a great time uh, having you on, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Larry. As always, want to thank Jeremy for, for being on the show and uh, continuing to be uh, one of my favorite guests to have. Uh, on the show the game on Sunday is going to be interesting and I'll, I'll get more into depth on that uh, with the uh, with the deep dive preview uh, tomorrow as I try to you know maybe break down a little bit and put together somewhat of a a game plan for our uh, beloved to uh, just to see what 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 can we do against this uh, Lions team even even not knowing what to expect from them on offense it seemed to be the one thing that Jeremy was kind of optimistic about uh, going into this game is that, uh, you know, the Lions have felt kind of 
um, or at least Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, and now the interim head coach, felt kind of reined in, kind of handcuffed uh, by Patricia and what he wanted to do or he w- what he wanted from his offense. And uh, with him gone, there therefore go the restrictions. Maybe they open things up a bit. Maybe not so much with trick plays, but definitely you know opening up the offense to kind of attack uh, the Bears as opposed to just trying to run the football and and you know lull us into a play action game and uh, and things like that. So um, that was the one thing that Jeremy was excited about, and fortunately for us, that's the one unit on the field that's good, which is our defense. And, uh, you know, like I said in, in the conversation, it's going to come down to the strength against strength, which team can win that one, and then more importantly, the weakness against weakness in our offense versus their defense, which one of those units can prevail on Sunday because that's pretty much where you're going to come away with your victor. If, if Mitch can have another Mitch performance against the Lions, and I mean that actually in a good way because Mitch seems to play well against the Lions, or at least he knows how to finish. Uh, against Detroit um you know we'll see how it all how it all turns out I mean the 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 team as a whole has a lot to answer for after their performance uh on Sunday because maybe everyone's accusing of the defense uh of quitting uh but the offense had two weeks to put a cohesive game plan together uh against Green Bay and it was the Mitch Trubisky from 2019 show all over again said he wasn't going to try to play hero ball but he throws it to a receiver that's got three b three dbs converging on him rather than throwing it to the all pro candidate who's running wide open across the middle of the field for a first down you know it's like you know those guys that those three guys that are converging uh, on your deep uh route right now them running away from you means that they're opening up uh running room for Allen robinson uh in front of him uh, maybe read that instead of trying to hit a big play uh, down the field and, and things like that. So, you know, and, and then, you know, like we talked about right there towards the end of the discussion was hopefully that with the performance that we had, uh, the decent performance, the um, passable performance from the offensive line uh, that we had, maybe that's something we can build on. And Montgomery with his 100 and something yards on 11 carries maybe that's something we come out heavy with David Montgomery in the beginning especially if we have some success because we need that and I'll talk more like I said I'll talk more about that uh tomorrow uh on the uh on the preview uh as far as you know the running game uh and everything but um this is a winnable game for us we should come to this game as fans and such expecting uh to win because we can as opposed to kind of hoping we win, even though we don't have a prayer uh, against the four out of the last five teams uh, that we've played. You know, if we win, we'll be a 500 football team again. We'll still be in the hunt for that seventh uh, playoff spot with three other winnable games in front of us. I mean, as messed up as this season has been up to this point, as much as everybody is calling for us to tank so we can be in a position to get the best draft pick possible, which honestly I feel is more important in the second round and below than it is in the first round. i got to be honest with you guys because you guys know how I feel about us possibly drafting a quarterback uh, in 2021. I, I, I don't want it. Right here, right now, I just I don't. Maybe my opinion on that will change after I see some of the offseason moves 
that we've made. Maybe we'll, you know, add some. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll do something with the receivers. We'll bolster the offensive line. Maybe I'll have a different opinion of it as we get closer to the draft. But right here, right now, with the offensive line that we have in house and the talent that we'll have, especially if we lose Allen Robinson at the wide receiver spot. <sighs> Tariq Cohen coming off an ACL. You know, I don't know. I just I the last thing I want to do is throw a rookie to the wolves with that offense. So I, I'm I'm against it 100 percent right here right now. And in me saying that maybe I'll change my mind is me kind of softening on the idea. But like I said, I got to see some some moves that will will make me not worry about the quarterback heading into the draft. You know, and uh, so I, I just don't see the Bears as a team that can build around. A quarterback, we got to build the team and then go get the quarterback. Kind of like we did when we made the move for Jay Cutler. You know, at least that's what Jerry Angelo's thought process was, is that we had a team that could help the quarterback, even though we didn't as far as offensive weapons was concerned. But with our defense, we had a good offensive line at the time. We had Matt Forte. So go ahead and get the quarterback and see if he's the final missing piece. That, I think, was the best example of the Bears doing that. Uh, other than that, it's been go get the quarterback and then try to build around him, and that has not worked for us at all. So uh, we'll see. But um, you know, I'm 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 anxious to see what's going to happen on Sunday. How does this team respond to being called out publicly uh, by Matt Nagy for the first time? And uh, you know, even though he was kind of talking about the defense, how does the whole team respond to this? You know, will the offense bounce back? Will they clean up the mistakes they had uh, against uh, against Green Bay? Will Mitch watch the film and learn from his mistakes, or will he just continue to be Mitch and do Mitch things that will make us all crazy? So, I don't know. We'll talk a bit more about it on the Deep Dive uh, preview tomorrow. Uh, so until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.